Hey there, good people in crypto land. I'm Matt Lysing. This is my podcast, Decent People. Welcome back to the conversation. Today, I spoke with Ryan Lee. He is the co-founder of CyberConnect, which is a decentralized social media protocol. So we started off basically by bashing Twitter. <laughs> Just kidding. That was maybe me more than Ryan. But no, we started uh, with sort of what is uh, social media and why you know it is a centralized function where Twitter or Facebook owns the content that, that you all put on there and how that differs with a decentralized social protocol like CyberConnect where users own all of the content that they create and put out into the world, um, which is backed by blockchain and which is using account abstraction uh, wallets, uh, which we've talked about a couple times now on the podcast recently. We also talked about Ryan's time at UC Berkeley, uh, where he got an engineering degree, uh, about his time at Instagram. Uh, he, uh, we talked about Elon Musk and Twitter and uh, just about how um, things seem to be picking up uh, in, in the crypto world right now and that the building blocks are being put in place for a lot of um, innovations and, and hopefully leaps in uh, what the Web3 space can offer uh, away from financialized products into areas like social media. So with all that out of the way, let's get to the conversation. Thanks again for being here as always, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad you're here uh, because um, you are the co-founder of CyberConnect, which is a decentralized social media protocol. And um, this this is fascinating to me. And I've, I've been really excited to talk to you and pick your brain and just kind of get into all the pros and cons of um, social media, both, both centralized and decentralized. Um, but first of all, I wanted to say I, I'm, I'm really glad to see that you went to Berkeley. I went to Cal as well, and I had to talk oh, nice. to somebody from Stanford yesterday, so I'm much happier today. <laughs> Thank God, yes. Oh, I didn't know you went to Cal. Yeah, I went there for grad and school for journalism. Um, nice. But yeah, yeah, it's a great school. Love it up there. Best school. Yep, there you go. Um, all right, so cool. So let's... Um, I don't know if people know a lot about decentralized social media, so maybe we could start with kind of the basics and maybe you could kind of help us out by, uh, tell us about the centralized social media first and sort of like set the stage and then we can move to like, and then what is decentralized social media and what are you guys trying to do at CyberConnect? Of course, I can give a rundown of, of uh, how I see social media evolved. So I think, uh, in, in the early 2000s, people start to have their, like, posting their content on their own blog sites, register their own, own domains. Uh, that's when the, like the Web 2 really gets started, where people have more inputs onto the web instead of just reading magazines like websites. Uh, however, at the time, a lot of the tech wasn't ready. Like, there's a lot of barrier for people to create their own sites, to create on their, their own, manage their own blog, manage their own domains. Um, the platforms like Twitter or like Facebook started to evolve where uh, you can easily have rent a place on these kind of platforms where they handle the distribution for you. You don't have to manage your own site. Uh, all the users share a single place, a single uh, app to distribute their content and find their right audience. Eventually, that turned into a, a, a media, as you said. People start to share um, 
more professional stuff. They start making money out of these content that they created. The content has become more multi, uh, multimedia instead of just being a blog post. Now they have uh, videos, short videos, uh, even live streams. Mm-hmm. So in the traditional web to world, creators come up with their creativity, create nice content, distribute them through a specific or multiple platforms, getting um, rewarded or getting uh, monetized by either ads through these platforms or by some other affiliated programs or their own merch, other revenue sources that they can get. And they don't really have full control of uh, the identity that they they have on that platform, Uh, meaning, well, one day you can get deplatformed or one day you can easily uh, be replaced or your name being recycled. Things like that happen a lot. Um, also, yeah, you don't really the, get... And on the monetization side, you've also got, like, of course, there's ad revenue, oh, yeah. but, but then they're also collecting tons of personal data on you and selling that, right? That's kind of... Exactly. The, yeah, that's the, the, the dirty secret that I, I think most people know by this point, but that's definitely what's oh, going yeah, exactly. on. Yeah, exactly. Like, eventually, if it's an ad business, then there must be a lot of uh, data collection on everyone, not just the creators. So, so I was just saying, creators get money from these ad revenues that the platforms collect, but everyone who's like really like into getting their content on these social media platforms are basically giving away their data for ads. Um, so you're right. So the traditional platforms very prone to uh, data, like personal data kind of invasion and then uh, not the best experience for, for, for users with, um, uh, with where ads are so, so, uh, invasive and then creators don't have full control of their audience don't have the full control of their monetization they can't get deep platform easily uh, sometimes YouTube do, do that when they see uh, some creators don't have uh, the same interest as they do or they're they're just not like monetizing their content where YouTube can't put ads in them uh, then the, their, their traffic will get uh, less exposed to their audience. So things like that happen yeah, all just, behind the scene. Or like in crypto, like YouTube hasn't liked crypto for a long time. So if you're putting out exactly. crypto, crypto content, they'll just randomly uh, shut you down. Yeah, exactly. Mm, okay. So, so, yeah, then, think- so yeah, so we've got like all of those things. So there's a centralization. There's the ability for them to gatekeeper, you know, you and, and kick you off if they want. Then, so let's talk about the the alternative and, and a decentralized system. What what are we what are we talking about there? Yeah, the promise of a decentralized system is that well, first of all, everything is transparent and everything is user owned. So instead of you relying on a specific platform that manages your data, manages your how your content is being distributed, how your i like your activity history is being recorded and tracked for. Uh, ads everything behind the scene is more transparent like everyone can see through and know what's exactly happening and then every data that's generated by a person either my activity or my content creator as a creator should belong to me like forever so that i have the freedom to choose whatever front end or whatever distribution app eventually so i can easily migrate between them when i see oh i am getting um not treated as what what I what I could have on a different platform. I could easily migrate to a different platform. So there is a strong competition between platforms, and then so uh, users always own their data instead of 
the other way around, people renting a place on a specific platform where they can just, they couldn't really leave. Um, so right. I, I think that's, that's the really biggest promise. That, that you bring that up, that you can move around in a decentralized world here because it re- reminds me of when I think it was Facebook didn't allow its users to go like to access Twitter, right? So um, they they shut off access to the API so that um, you couldn't search for your Facebook friends on Twitter because there is that competition between the two platforms, right? And that's this that's like a function or a feature of of a centralized system. Exactly, and there right. are chance, chances are like uh, as a concreter, most of your traffic come from. Um, beyond that platform specifically. If you move to a different platform, you have to rebuild your audience, you have to rebuild your follower, follower base. So that also creates like a barrier for um, for any creators to, to switch platforms and then that gives the platform so much more power mm-hmm. to do whatever they want. Yeah, we're definitely facing that at Decentral right now because I'm not a fan of what Elon Musk is doing with Twitter. Um, it's just that you know, we've worked hard to build up an audience there and, and taking that and just like going to Farcaster or to CyberConnect, uh, it, it's just, it feels like you're kind of starting over and that's kind of scary for people, I think. Exactly. The, yeah, as I said, like the self or user-owned data part or like the user-owned follow, social graph, follower base or monetization channels, distribution channels, all these stuff should not belong to a platform. Mm-hmm. I mean, the creators are spending their, most of their time working on this and this should all belong to the creators themselves. And is, um, I always like to ask the question, like, why is the blockchain necessary here? And, and is the blockchain necessary here, the element of it that's blockchain-based because it's that ownership um, idea that I, I'm, I'm, if I want to own my content, it needs to be um, authenticated and stored uh, on a blockchain? Uh, actually, yes and no. So I think to, sol- to solve what we've discussed, two, two key components. One is users... There, there must be a decentralized system. A decentralized system doesn't necessarily mean blockchain, by the way. Like you can't have multiple servers that that is not censoring any relaying or re- distributing of the, these data, and you can have a swarm of different nodes that work all together instead of having Twitter as one central authority that controls all the data, how the data is being stored and how the data are being distributed. You can have a swarm of nodes all run by individual. Uh, people or organizations for their own interests and that could be a decentralized system of itself that guarantees the data the data are not owned by one person and guarantees that anyone can um, easily migrate to a different node if they see some server or not behaving right mm-hmm. and I think that's what hap- that, that's what uh, designed for Mastodon uh, mm-hmm. like from a couple of years ago where uh, privacy conserving or People with strong interest of uh, not reviewing their data to a central central server or central party, they tend to like general. A lot of journalists tend to like Mastodon for that. Um, that. So that's the decentralized part. Blockchain does provide a decentralized framework as well. However, I think one a bigger component to it is the blockchain's uh, ability to enable a self sustainable or self-governed economy where creation 
content creators directly can monetize their content based on the same system that where their content is being stored. So as they're storing, as they're creating new content onto the blockchain, that piece of content can be monetized easily because of how financialized blockchains are or how many, how other financial instruments blockchains enables. That's not doable with like a system like a pure decentralized system like Mastodon. Okay. So um, it's, it's the fact that if I'm an artist and I'm creating things on Ethereum, I can get paid, I can sell those and get paid in Ether for them on Ethereum. Yeah, theoretically, yeah. yes. And then yeah. there are different formats to that, right? You, have, you can do NFTs or you can do like, uh, there's also the adoption curve on the user side, but theoretically, you can monetize it easily. Okay. We've we've kind of gotten into the uh, the the gatekeeping function and and the censorship function, um, and then I guess the, my my bigger question for you is um, how are you finding it's it seems one of the things that that these big corporations like Twitter and Facebook have going for them is that they've made the user experience very easy and it's very convenient and like you said. It's the same platform. Everybody kind of congregates there, so that's a you know a big network effect. Um, are, are you finding it difficult with the sort of decentralized system that you guys are creating to to get people to take extra steps? I guess, and to I, I, it's I, I I don't want to say it's not convenient, but I think it is something where it takes more engagement from somebody and from users. And I was, I was wondering how you guys are finding that and. If there are things you're doing to try to help smooth that process as much as possible, you're right. It it is uh, as we've seen this before, right? Like w- before Twitter, you can buy your own server, manage that, create your own domain, and distribute that on your own to some other group of online friends you have. The more you start getting traction and getting readers, um, it's kind of I wouldn't say. After 20 years, the experience is, is the same with like Web3 now. Like you have to manage your own keys. You have to manage your, how you're getting your Ether to start with. And you have to manage um, the security and the onboarding of uh, using a wallet instead of just signing up with the email and passwords on Twitter. Mm-hmm. There, these are the stuff that kind of, as you said, get, gets into to the way of how we can achieve a Web2-like experience. Um, however, I think it's only because Web3 is early and as well as people still hold on to these values very, uh, very truthfully, like it has to be user owned. Ha- you have to have a, like a, uh, pass, uh, uh, recovery key management. Like you have to have a MetaMask to really feel like, oh, you're only your piece of data or piece of, uh, assets. Um, However, I believe in a, a medium to long term, there will be more solutions that wraps these uh, self custody or um, ownership type of um, assumption or like necessity necess- necessary features of blockchains into uh, a, a more upper level complex system that you users don't have to see it, but they know. Oh, I I, I am actually managing my keys under the hood, mm-hmm. but I can have the same kind of experience as as Twitter. Instead of signing every transaction, uh, I can imagine having something that's like so much smoother, but still I have the true ownership of it. Yeah. It's, it's still it's still an ongoing pro- process, and CyberConnect we also work on onboarding and user, user experience so much. Uh, I can definitely share more uh, later when we get to that. 
Yeah, and I, I think we're kind of talking around the edges here about maybe account abstraction and the new sort of model of wallets that are based on smart contracts rather than um, uh, the, the non-custodial wallets pr prior to that where, you know, just sort of your, an address on a, on, a, on a blockchain. But with account abstraction wallets, you know, the their smart contracts and that uh, opens it up to all sorts of new flexibility and, and new things that can be done. And I know you, you guys are using those um, at CyberConnect, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I think account traction. So a little bit of background, like people who don't know what's account traction. Well, on, let's say only on Ethereum, everyone who wants to, to do a transaction, they have to use what we call EOAs, externally owned account, uh, which is basically their recovery phrases in their MetaMask and mm -hmm. use that, use MetaMask as a signer to sign every transaction in order to engage with Ethereum, the blockchain or any EVM blockchains. That creates a couple of frictions. One is users have to manage their own C phrases. And we see this all the time. People lose their C phrases or they get fished by a phishing site or uh, what's actually more uh, detrimental is when you just lose that one C phrase, you basically lose access to every app or you, you, you give up your entire history of your Ethereum account on every app, not just on one app. Like you can, you can lose, you can lose your Twitter. Okay. You can kind of get hacked into your Twitter account, but that doesn't affect your whatever other Web2 account, like your bank account. But in, in, in our case, it's extremely challenging if people lose one account or lose one password to account that means they lose everything in, in web3 yeah so, so, so that's uh, where managing the secret is extremely hard so EOAs kind of have that uh, built in as a, as a bug or feature from the start and then the user experience is terrible because you have to sign everything that's where everyone has minimized plugin how if you want like a Web two like experience, you would want some kind of uh, um, smooth transaction where you click a button that says like it will happen automatically without user popping up something on the browser. That's not doable with EOAs as well. People in the past have tried. Uh, maybe we have we we trust some central party to do that for me. So I kind of don't own my own C phrases, but I trust someone to own that for me, and we've seen that throughout the history, anything that deviates from self-custody eventually gets either hacked or get to their own problems. It's like a trusting exchange where they have all the incentives to do wrong things. Yeah. And eventually where we come to with the account traction, especially with the 437, the ERC-437 is where we have a more a higher level account that doesn't tie to EOA directly, and it doesn't require users' knowledge of a blockchain or seed phrases or how to manage these keys, but preserving the self-custody part of it. So users are not locked into like a central server managing their keys. So it's like a best of both worlds. It's very early though. Uh, a lot of experiments is happening. But it's the, the promise that we all think that will bring on the mass adoption of users without them really needing to know all the Web3 terminologies. However, keeping the core Web3 um, assumption that everything is self 
uh, self-custody. And CyberCoin has been doing that like for the past couple months. Yeah, I just spoke with, uh, for the podcast, um, Andy Bromberg, who's over at Beam. Uh, and they're, uh, are you familiar with them? They're, they're doing um, account abstraction wallets where it's basically you just follow a link and then it's like you, you're set up with a wallet. That's all you have to do. So I think there are strides being made um, in, to make this a lot easier and a lot more um, like similar to what people are used to in the web two world, but like you were saying with the benefits of, of decentralization and, you know, peer to peer stuff. Um, so that, that's exciting. I'm, I'm, um, I, I wonder, you know, Twitter's going through a lot of, of changes late, lately. I just would love to hear your take on, on what do you think Elon Musk is doing over there and what his eventual game end game is if, if he's got one. Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I actually haven't like followed up with every step that he takes, but I think the general direction is probably he thinks Twitter has so much eyeball and so low of revenue versus like relative to the eyeball he's getting. So he might well try all the sources of monetization, like restricting more third-party apps so that every eyeball now comes to Twitter more. I used to use like Twitbot and like other iOS clients, non, non-official clients just for the sake of it. But now those are obviously gone. And they try like they try to do more monetization stuff where you have the, all the different check marks, the blue one, the gold, golden one. You have creators spinning up their super fan type of uh, monetization model. There's like the super subscriber. What is it called? Follow, super subscribe, probably a super follower or something. Super follower, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I was, um, yeah. yeah, I was doing some research on you, and, and I so I didn't know this, but I was reading a story you were featured in about how if you don't have a blue check mark, you can't get two-factor authentication, like in in your account, um, which I found remarkable because that's that's just a basic security function, and they're, he's basically making you pay for that. Um, which I think yeah, is, right. is ridiculous, so, yeah. you know, like if you don't pay your $8 a month, you know, you're much more susceptible to having that Twitter account hacked because you don't, you know, and even, I mean, shit, uh, message or SMS based two factor authentication is not good to begin with. Right. Like you really, cause of all the phone or the SIM swapping, right. That happens. So you really should be using an authenticator app in the first place. But so there, there's a lot to dig in there, but I thought that was just crazy. And then I just don't understand why he has changed it to X and like got rid of the tweet sort of and retweet and like, cause that, that's like branding that you can't even pay for, you know, you can't buy that kind of thing when, oh, your product has been become a verb in the English language, you know, like I'm tweeting about this and I retweeted him and now it's like, would I X'd him or like, it's just like, <laughs> I don't know what he's thinking, man, but he's hopefully, I mean, not hopefully, I, I think he's just got some crazy plan that he's doing step by step and in public every step of the way, which is kind of nuts. Yep. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's something really like a task, like personal attachment to that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, another one, another kind of interesting Social experiment that's, that's come out recently is FriendTech. Um, can you can you tell me tell, tell me about that and like what, what your impression has been of, of that and and what what it is? 
Mm, yeah, I I did play around with different friends. Like, I think under the hood, it's not really about social that much, rather than creating like an econ- economy of its own, where you have people um, bringing capital in, you have people transacting, and you have people kind of making money out of out of it. Does it? Like, does it have to look like a social app? Maybe it does not. It's like a fun experiment yeah. game. Um, however, I think it's uh, it played its uh, part pretty well. We'll use a lot of transactions, a lot of users gambling on it or just having fun. Um, yeah, so for, for people who don't know it, it's basically like a, just a short story. It's like you, you can buy shares in people, right? Kind of like um, people who are out in the public domain um, a lot of Twitter personalities and you can, I, I, I haven't really done much with it, uh, as you can probably tell, but it's, it's basically like you can sort of invest in, in them and, and maybe the, if their value goes up, then you can sell, right? Is that sort of the idea? Yeah, I think that's the, that's the, that's like the play there. It's like the social token where, where we've seen like a couple of years ago. Uh, however, they don't really tie that into like a equity or share just because that gets them into other legal stuff and it's harder for creators to reason about. Mm. And also, I think they're, yeah, they definitely have their own like security versus non-security type of discussion behind the scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I think guess it's a fun I, experiment. I guess, yeah. I guess I just wish it wasn't financialized you know or like that's the the well if it's not financialized i don't think people actually care about it and i did some uh i I was reading this on on twitter or x recently that i think a lot of these transactions or like user buying other people's share are like just bots or Hmm. or or like pure looking at financial part of it and trying to gain the system a little bit so that they can earn money from the latecomers yeah. So getting back to CyberConnect, you guys had some some pretty great success, right, with the user numbers. Um, can, can you tell me where where do you stand on on the the number of accounts you guys have now, and how's that growth been? Oh, thank you for yeah. Uh, look, yeah, I think I, before digging into the numbers, I can give a quick rundown of what CyberConnect does and like what are the core components for it. Yeah. So CyberConnect okay. obviously is. Uh, a decentralized social network protocol. We try to create, well, first, a, a, a protocol that allows users to own their profile, own their content, own their distribution channels, and their entire social graph in a way that's publicly available as well as like user-owned. So it's like a user-owned piece of um, a layer of uh, data for anyone to build a, a, an, an app on top of it, like a user on Twitter or user on Facebook. So that's the protocol side. And the other side we also focus a lot on is how can we create better experiences and onboarding through the account attraction that we briefly talked about. We have a product called Cyber Wallet that abstracts away the network setting, like different all these different chains. Uh, abstracts away how users would get gas and abstracts away uh, the onboarding experience so that they can have different options when they onboard. 
And these two, so the wallet and the cyber kind of protocol plays hand in hand to for developers to create applications on top. We have one app that we build, which is called Link3. So Link3.2. It's like a LinkedIn, um, but it's for professionals in, in the space. And yeah, that's like a, brief, like a quick rundown of what we do here at CyberConnect. And the numbers, um, we've started in 20... Well, let me ask you oh, real quick before we get to numbers. Like, like that's a great example, like the LinkedIn sort of... Um, what are some other... Are, are there other ones that you like that people are building? Like, what, what does it seem like people want to be doing on top of a protocol like this? People are experimenting with like um, creating well, a Twitter-like experience, of course. They're favor and read on a couple apps that they built um, a Twitter-like experience on top. Uh, there are other developers who build music NFTs where creators create, like musicians, create their own uh, music NFTs and try to sell them or get engagement from the community. And there are plugins for a social graph into a game where some game gamer or gaming companies leverage CyberConnect's account system, the profile, the UZ onboarding, and then use their social graph so that they can um, onboard gamers easier with their friends all together. Um, these are like the early examples of use cases. And yeah, we're we're excited to see more as we um, yeah. CyberConnect has, has only been around for two and a half years. We've done a lot of iterations already. However, it's uh, it's it, it's still ongoing for developers to try to make innovative stuff on top. And and what are some of the user numbers that you guys are seeing? Yeah, um, we have a, so so far we have about one point five million users signed up to CyberConnect protocol in in in, in different ways, of course. So. They have their own profile. They have collected some content. When I say collected, it's like, I, I, I believe um, every interaction happens in the format of uh, on-chain on kind of activity. So mm-hmm. on CyberConnect, on all the apps powered by CyberConnect, they interact with the content by collecting them as an NFT. Um, so 1.4 million, 1.5 million people uh, that have created their profile, collected some content and we recently launched the cyber wallet which also have about five hundred thousand users using our own wallet to interact with uh, cyber connect the protocol okay cool do you have a, no- a native token or anything or are people um using the native tokens for like and you're also on several different blockchains right CyberConnect, yeah, CyberConnect protocol is uh, deployed on Polygon, Optimism, Arbitrum, Base, Linea, and now we're expanding to new chains like uh, OPPNB, Scroll. Um, basically, we want to bring the social experience to everyone, no matter the chain. I know all the, all the chains and developers, like the chain themselves and the developers on these different chains have different focuses, but we want to bring that social, same social experience to everyone who's building there. And Cyber Wallet, as the user onboarding part, helps them navigate different chains instead of, oh, they have to set up a new chain, a new account on every chain, or okay. getting gas on every chain. Um, oh, yeah, that's, that's smart. Um, 
And then I was curious um, if it's all decentralized and, and everyone owns their own content on the on this uh, on CyberConnect. Uh, how do you guys make money? Because I, I know like one of the things we we're talking about, and it's kind of one of the evils of social media is that data mining uh, is is a way that like a lot of those companies make a lot of money because that's very valuable data. Um, so I was just curious if it's if it's is it more than ad based stuff or wh- how, what's the the model there that you guys are working with? Um, in terms of monetization, we're very early, of course. I I think the value of uh, any social media platform eventually is about uh, the traditional actions and the monetization that eventually happens, and it doesn't have to be. So CyberConnect, of course, will try to come up with new monetization models, but the existing ones where users are getting paid by others based on their content creations directly can have a better fair, a better share of that, a fair way to distribute. So we do take transaction fees when when creators monetize, uh, but we, which is transparent instead of like Twitter, Twitch or Twitter taking arbitrary numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as um, uh, monetization can happen on providing some premium services to some users. Uh, we have a naming system in place where users can buy a premium name and have some premium services based on that. And that's another revenue generating source. And mm-hmm. um, finally, with the wallet, I think providing a better experience to, to users eventually opens up um, that onboarding part and eventually have uh, other monetization models, uh, which are also beneficial to the users, not just taking advantage of them. Okay. So I'm also curious, just from your point of view, what was it about like um, trying to decentralize social media that, that made you jump in here with CyberConnect? Was, did you have a bad experience or do you just really love social media, but you'd like to see it be, um, you know, more user-friendly or, or um, not like user-friendly, but like treat its users more like human beings rather than, you know, just like, um, I don't know, sheep or whatever. Um was there something specific to like the social media stuff that was appealing to you kind of outside of the web three blockchain aspect to it? Do you mean like why am I interested or a tattoo? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that you could, you know, there's a lot of different areas, but it's, I'm curious, just was was there something about this, um, about the social media aspect of of a use case that, that appealed to you? Uh, I can share some backgrounds on myself. Uh, Like I, my first startup was a social media company uh, about 10, 10 years, nine, 10 years ago, um, where we would want to build a better social media versus at the time, Instagram was super like popular. People are just posting like the best side of themselves when where yeah. we wanted to do something that, oh, we can just share genuine, genuine selves and other people around us. Uh, that obviously didn't work because people <laughs> only care about the best part of themselves online. Like they care so much about how they look, how like they are always going to the gym or like their lifestyles. But that didn't work. Yeah, um, you're like let's do the, let's do uh, Instagram for ugly people. <laughs> That'll be great. Just, <laughs> yeah, just, like we're not even saying ugly people. It's like oh, let's do something genuine. Like uh, we wanted to do um, instead of you posting about yourself, we want people to post about their friends. Okay. So you can take a picture of your friends, like doing whatever, but okay. uh, that didn't work. And then I ended up going to Instagram. I did work at Instagram for a bit on their iOS. Uh, 
where I see what well, from, from, from outside, it's like, Oh, Instagram is definitely, um, provides so much value to creators and then exploring the world on your phone is just amazing. However, internally I see it's entirely like revenue, revenue oriented. And when I was there, their focus was like trying to get into the third world countries by like developing like a lightweight iOS app so they can download better, like saving some network stuff, like saving some data plan. Very not, not innovative. And I think they're just trying to protect everything that they have from newcomers. Uh, I, I do personally really enjoy seeing these social interactions on online. I'm not like the biggest Twitter, like Twitter influencer out there, but I do enjoy like seeing how people form those relationships. Mm-hmm. And, um, so two, so, so there are two stream of thoughts to me. Like, how can we bring more genuine relationship that lasts longer? And the other is like, how can we help creators have full control of their, um, livelihood instead of relying on a specific platform. So these two thoughts led to uh, CyberConnect and also led to our, uh, just the team behind CyberConnect. We also uh, built another Web3, our, our live streaming, live streaming pl- platform on top of a, a blockchain in 2018, which got acquired eventually. And that helped about 100,000 creators monetize Mm-hmm. Uh, versus at the time YouTube demonetizing and deplatforming a lot of them. So it's a, it's a, I think it's a continuous effort and my interest of uh, did, just bringing value to yeah. the creators. Did being on the inside at Instagram make you or give you an aversion for kind of what they do and like you wanted to do something different in terms of like the revenue model and like you're saying how they were kind of optimizing it for certain things? Mm. I, I think they're definitely also a very efficient engine, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't be running for so long. It's just there could be something different that entirely opens up the design space for more players to come in in a transparent way instead of Instagram determining everything from their own. Like they have all these different algorithms to determine uh, who, who gets the, the best, the feed, like what kind of feed you're seeing, like who gets distributed. Like they no longer distribute to your like follower only, right? Like the contents. So a lot of arbitrary black box things happen on the inside. And our, my, at least my, uh, my goal is to see that being democratized and people can play, um, each individual roles in the, in the way that, oh, the whole system works better. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, good luck. Uh, I think it really is something that needs to be done. Um, were you as a kid, like younger or earlier in your life, were, were you always into technology or how, how did, what, how, how did you kind of develop into, you know, getting into Berkeley and then getting an engineering degree? Was it just a natural progression or, uh, what was that like? I'm always into science. Um, so I'm like always into math, physics, and in my high school years, I get to know how to code. Mm. So I was, a, <clears throat> we had this computer class where everyone was playing games and I somehow, the, uh, the, the teacher there have this one tiny club that just gets some people excited about like solving, uh, solving 
these coding problems. And I was lucky to be part of that team somehow and then get involved with coding, coding challenges for a couple of years in high school, eventually got some uh, awards in, on, in, in, the, in the nationwide competitions. Can I say something about um, a soccer playing robot or something? What was that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I do like to tinker. So there were like these random science uh, competitions that I engaged in when I was in high school. There was one where uh, it's like a ro- it's called Robot Cup and you just program a tiny robot that does the uh, ball kicking on mm-hmm. Uh, on the flat surface and then try to like two versus two soccer. It's like, it's, it's not, it's not that big. It's like the size of the robot is smaller than a basketball. Okay. Oh, that's cool though. But so there, yeah, you're coding the robot to play and try to win the game basically. Exactly. Exactly. And and then that's, that's one. The other one that I engaged in was called, uh, uh, Olympiad in informatics. So it's just coding competition, trying Mm -hmm. to solve some, uh, harder, harder coding questions, I guess. Yeah. So I was in, always interested in like saw like doing competitions and then um yeah, high school like senior year I started to learn like coding for real world problems. And one was uh uh like test prep and I did release my first iOS app when I was 16 just by following like online tutorials and stuff and created my first app uh, that helped a lot of uh, I I didn't, it, I wasn't expecting it, but it eventually helped about a hundred thousand, uh, test takers, uh, at a time to prep their college exams and stuff. Oh, wow. Cool. Like um, for so the I SAT like, and I, I like to build. Yeah. Uh, yeah. SAT, TOEFL, uh, there's like the TOEFL from, uh, non-English speaking countries. Okay. So that was, uh, that was a, like, I, I'm like into building stuff, um, just experimenting and, yeah, maybe that led to led, yeah. led to uh, the startup world that I'm. Were your parents about. a big influence on that? Were they in the sciences? Not at well? all. Yeah, no, they're yeah. they're in sciences. They're doctors. Okay, but Where they're, they're like I spent. So I grew up mostly in China, Chongqing, uh, the city that I was born, and I did spend some time in Virginia when I was a kid. Um, my parents did some study there, and then eventually moved to California for Berkeley. Okay, cool. Um, uh, uh, do they? I like to ask this. Do, do your parents understand what you do? And like, have, do they Not understand? At all. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, <laughs> mine neither. Um, exactly. Uh, like, my dad. <laughs> yeah, my dad is like a rocket scientist. Like literally, he like oh, helped wow. build. He helped build Voyager, and uh, I've I've tried to explain it to him. He's getting better, but man, it's taken years. So I think that's just it's really funny. It's also um, fascinating, right? Like blockchain and crypto stuff is at at like a intersection of like economy stuff, financial stuff, uh, a lot of tech, and then just sort of like game theories and how people coordinate in the not like not entirely friendly ways, right? You have the design system that's anti-civil, that's anti-attacks. So I think it's a very good field of study for like inner inner. Uh, disciplinary people to work on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and that's one of the things that bugs me about people who are skeptical about blockchain. They think it's all a Ponzi scheme or something. It's like, no, there's actual really fascinating scientific research underlying all of this stuff. You know, like you might not like 
uh, a JPEG of an ape, you know, but like, <laughs> that's just so not the entirety of what, what people are doing in this field. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got in, so I got my first Bitcoin when I was, when it was 2014. So I had my first, my, my first couple of years in, in college yeah. and, uh, I had no idea what that was. And <laughs> 2017, I started building a company in crypto. Still, most people around me don't know what that is. And well, last six years, full time building crypto. When you were at Berkeley, was was blockchain kind of take like? My, was it, was it my well in there when, when while you were there? No, no. My buddy started at blockchain Berkeley. So, so, okay. Yeah, so it was the we we went to hackathons together, hacking on like Coinbase APIs where Coinbase was just getting started. And they were like, oh, what can Bitcoin do outside of trading? And we hacked around with like, oh, send me a Bitcoin with a, with a text message. But then mm-hmm. like, oh, what is Bitcoin? People are very confused. Yeah. And I, so, so obviously the scene was like so much smaller. And my buddy ended up teaching a class at Berkeley where they teach what's Bitcoin. It's like a mm-hmm. decal class where Berkeley has like student-led classes. Um... Yeah, like last six years, I've been working in crypto full time. I just stopped explaining to people. Like when I talk to to my friends, they're like, "Oh, what are you working on? Is it fun?" Or like, I'm "Like, oh, it's a scam." Yeah. <laughs> just don't worry about it. It's a problem. Like, I think people just, just exactly, give me money now. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, yeah, they have to be really interested in this to get started at this point. At least at this point, hopefully, crypto gets better. Yeah. Um, well, what, what are your thoughts on that? Because this is, you know, we are in still the crypto winter here, like maybe the third version of it um, <laughs> over, over the years. Um, how, how are you feeling about, you know, the general mood? And, and do you think, do you, do you see shoots of life coming up? Or what, what do you, what would you say about that? I see, I see a lot of confidence just by comparing like this winter versus last not just from like, oh, obviously the Bitcoin is, is not at, what was it, like 3,000 last when, during last winter and like mm-hmm. Ethereum at like 90 bucks. Yeah. So, 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 well, token price is one thing. And the other thing is there are so much more happening right now. Like, like there are use cases right now. In 2019, uh, 2019, there are literally just no use cases. I think maker or some different protocols were just getting started yeah um and most most things happen on gam like gamble gambling sites or just fishing entirely mm-hmm. or and this time around like things are happening like there are stable uses of uh of crypto and then so much more developed so many more developers now uh i think last time i checked it's like twenty six thousand developers versus like 30,000 30, developers at the peak time, like two years ago. So developers are still around. Yeah. Um, there must be some something that's fascinating to everyone that's still working here. And with more developers, there has to be some better use cases coming out very soon. Yeah, I was, I was just talking to somebody um, the other day about this, and uh, we kind of hit on the analogy that there are these fundamental building blocks that are now out there that are going to make it... Um, you know, potentially 
will like you need a certain elements to come together for the smartphone to really like make a giant leap right from a flip phone to a like an iphone oh, 100%. And, and, and here in crypto like with with layer twos you know i think with multi-party compute uh and with um the account abstraction wallets that we've been talking about it we were like saying you know yeah this this seems like that's a great foundation for for things to really now take a big step forward, and so I'm kind of I'm excited about that. I have no idea what it might take as in in its form, but I do think, like you said, there have been some really big advances uh, lately, and people are still making uh, you know big big leaps forward in a lot of the stuff that needs to happen. Yeah, I one I was reading um, I I happened to read this book called. Uh, What's the exact name? It's like the, the history of the internet. It's like it starts from how Mark Andreessen built the, the Mosaic browser, mm-hmm. like as the starting point of the internet, and what happened like throughout the years. Um, I, I did read it during the bull market, though. Like, um, but now to think about it, it's like we are we're really at the very beginning of uh, if, if if compared to internet, we're like at the very beginning of the internet when people are still designing how the HTML looks or like, mm-hmm. oh, are we going to use HTTP as the standard protocol for any network? So it's like very early and it's easy to, it's easy to be skeptical. So yeah. I see a lot of stuff converging on um, a let's bigger not, breakthrough. Let's not be easy. Let's, it's, let's, it's hard to be optimistic. So let's do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for um, your time and, and sharing all this about CyberConnect and your past. Um, tell folks how they can learn more about CyberConnect and how they can um, stay up with what you're doing. Uh, yes. So if you are interested in learning more about Decentralized Social, or if you're interested in just learning more how to get involved involved with crypto in a non-financial way, like how, how to help people onboard, how to help people navigate uh, all these different applications, you can go to the CyberConnect website, cyberconnect.me, or you can go to our Twitter, which is which is cyber, CyberConnect HQ, to learn more about what we're up to. And uh, yeah, we're always looking to talk to more developers as well as users to learn about how how what's their relationship with the crypto and how can we help. Yeah, awesome. Excellent. Well, again, Ryan, thanks so much. I really um, had a, a good time talking to you and best of luck with CyberConnect. Thank you, Ma. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget to rate and follow this show on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Decent People is a production of Decentral Media. It is produced by Matt Bogart with music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. Mm-hmm.